Greetings, listeners, if any, and welcome to DM Dad, the podcast about playing Dungeons and Dragons and other role-playing games with kids. A great way to spend time with your family, now that your friends are too old and have all moved away. So this is probably going to be my last podcast of the year, because I, uh, I don't really intend to do... Uh, any podcasting over the Christmas period, and as I am the primary caregiver of two uh, primary school children who will be off from noon on Friday until the 9th of January, something like that, it's a really long time, um, I'm going to have my hands full. Uh, entertaining my kids and hopefully playing lots of games with them. So, um, I, I played my third favorite Christmas song already, which was, uh, Christmas Wrapping by the Waitresses, and I played my second favorite Christmas song, Oi to the World by the Vandals, and I feel like now it's time to play my top Christmas song, my favorite Christmas song ever. So... I don't mean to be like a downer at Christmas time. Um, I mean, I, I am I am affected by uh, what they call seasonally affected disorder or SAD or SAD, which means that uh, the cold, dark Scottish winter nights are a trigger for depression, um, as they are for many people in this part of the world. And... Um, you know, I, I have uh, problems with anxiety and depression anyway, and, you know, there's a lot of, uh, I've, I've talked before about the pressure of Christmas, the pressure to be happy no matter what, the pressure to plan the perfect Christmas, otherwise you'll be letting your loved ones down, the pressure to get things for them, otherwise they'll think you don't love them enough, you know. So those things can all be anxiety triggers. And, um, you know, I also find reaching the end of the year and the natural kind of taking stock of of uh, what you've done this year or what you've, for me, what you've often failed to do. You know, it's like it's it can be a, a depressing reminder of everything I didn't accomplish because I tend to be a glass half empty um, kind of person, especially regarding myself, and I tend to focus on, um, I tend to be very hard on myself in terms of goals and things like that. But another thing, another reason that um, I, uh, I, I play a lot of depressing Christmas songs is that uh, for all that, for all that I can be um, very unhappy um, due to, you know, mental health issues and stuff like that, I actually have a pretty comfortable life. You know, I have, um, I have a wife and kids and a house and we never, you know, we never worry about where our next meal is going to come from. We can pay all our bills, you know, and there's a lot of people who don't have that. And I don't know when I, when I was younger, I kind of, bought into this idea that, you know, you, you have what you deserve and that, you know, if you're, if you don't have enough, it's because you haven't worked hard enough and stuff like that. But the older I get, the more I realize that, 
nobody deserves poverty and that a lot of the people who are suffering in poverty, it's not really through any fault of their own. I'm sure anybody can hold up a random example of somebody who has just never put any initiative into their life. <clears throat> but a lot of times it's circumstance. It's, it's luck or bad luck. Um, and so at this time where a lot of us are kind of feasting and celebrating, I do like to remember that there are people who will never, who will not have that kind of Christmas, who will not have that opportunity. And it's not their fault. You know, it's, you know, I mean, I just came from making a donation to a, a charity shop and we, uh, we give some money to charitable causes, um, each year and things like that. Um, to do a, a little, a, a little something that, you know, because people need help and, you know, somebody's got to help them. And anyways, that's where this song comes from. I'm sure everybody will recognize it as soon as, uh, it starts it starts playing but the first time i can remember the first time i heard it and i just thought this just this just says it all you know christmas is a wonderful time and an important time but it's a very difficult time for some people and you know we should make sure that we don't ignore the the difficulties that that some people have through no fault of their own
remember the kids who got nothing while you're drinking down your wine. The Kinks with Father Christmas. And uh, the Kinks, of course, are from the UK, where I currently live. And also from the UK is Colin Green of Spike Pit. Hey, Daddy! <laughs> it's Spike Pit, Colin here. Um, just calling in regarding your episode where you review Woodfall. Man, I'll tell you what. You sound very enthusiastic, mate. I'm going to have to swing by and check that out because, wow, Tim Burton and Grimm and Fairy Tale. What? You're joking me. That's all over my wheelhouse. And um, just sounds awesome, mate. Yeah, 12 bucks sounds like a steal. The other thing, you was talking about robins. You reminded me of some folklore sounds vaguely familiar but i seem to have forgotten but i see robins all year round working as a gardener and apparently they evolved to follow wild boar in the woods and uh, a gardener digging is the next best thing perhaps thanks for that colin i'm uh, glad you enjoyed the review and the special guest appearance by my son um yeah, I mean one of the one of the reasons that <clears throat> I'm so enthusiastic about about Woodfall, I mean partially it's just it is really uh an incredible product. But I guess there's a lot of things that I talk about that it feels like a lot of other people are talking about, you know, you don't need me to tell you about the black hack and things like that. Um and I just I haven't heard anybody mention this uh I haven't seen any like reviews on any of the blogs that I follow. I haven't heard any other uh, anchorites talk about it. Um, it funded, so I mean, obviously, it, it does have an audience. Um, but I just feel like I don't know. I ju- I would just like to see a little bit more love for this because uh, he put a lot of work into it, and it's it's a re- it's an original voice. It's old school, but it's like it's not just the same as every other old school product. I feel like it's 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 got a, a really unique perspective, and uh, I'd like to see I'd like to see some more attention to it. Um, interesting uh, point about the robins. I mean, I I only ever notice them around this time of year, and uh, I mean, I I never used to see them at all when I lived in the United States. But I don't know. I don't know where their habitats are. And to be perfectly honest, I've not always been the most observant person when it comes to natural flora and fauna. I think I probably know more about the natural world 
from gaming and from having to run mechanics to do with foraging and navigation than I do from actual experience of uh, of being out in nature. Um, so it's very likely that I see robins all year round and just don't notice them. Um, but it makes sense. It makes sense that they would follow you gardening if they follow um, wild boars because, I mean, what do wild boars do? They like they dig up the ground to get at things that are under the ground, which is, you know, obviously why they train uh, certain pigs to to hunt for truffles. Um, and it, but if if while they're if while the boars are digging for what they want to eat, they probably turn up, you know worms and other burrowing insects that i would imagine are the uh the diet of the uh the robins as well so i mean it could be that you're uh you're helping to, to keep the robin population uh of britain alive and well by uh by by turning up the earth in your in your work so in which case good on you because you know the little creatures all need all the help they can get one of the things that I've been reading recently um, is uh, Bill Webb's uh, Book of Dirty Tricks. I've had my eye on that for a long time. I only managed to pick it up recently um, in PDF. Um, I really like Bill Webb's adventure design. I mean, obviously, he's the uh, the main author of Rappanathic, which is alone enough to cement his reputation. But um, I really, I really I have a lot of respect for his his design his gaming style his uh his game theory and things like that so i was really i was really keen to get this book of dirty tricks and just see what kind of general advice he has on running a game and there's one house rule in particular i've never heard this from anybody else and i really really want to try this and and the rule is basically as follows so every pc needs an 18 to hit armor class zero and he's framing this in the context of swords and wizardry and, and original DD. so you would normally need a 19 to hit armor class zero as a newly minted first level character if you didn't have any particular bonuses and this 18 would presumably stack with any relevant bonuses so if you had a high dex you would only need a 17 to hit with a missile weapon um Monsters and fighters, not like rangers or fighter-esque classes. It has to be just the core fighter. Need a 17 to hit armor class 0. And that presumably also stacks with any relevant bonuses, like if you allow the strength bonus to apply to your attack and damage rules and things like that. And that never, ever changes. You could go to level 20... You could go beyond level 20 into that god zone that you get in Beckme in the Immortal set. You still need to roll a 17 to hit armor class 0 if you're a fighter or an 18 if you're not. Um, and his justification of that, there are a couple of things um, he uses, is that first of all he says plate armor, chainmail, these things never get easier to get through just because you're more powerful. Um, and that certainly makes sense. And then um, he also he also feels that being more likely to attack, like more likely to hit, 
and having more hit points and therefore being able to absorb more damage, he thinks that of that as double dipping. I really, really want to try this rule for a couple of reasons. First of all, less math. If 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 that's what you've got is this static to hit roll that will never change as you level up unless you find some magical means of boosting an ability score or get a plus one weapon or something like that or get under a blessed spell, which is only temporary anyway. Then, you know, after after a few weeks, everybody's going to just automatically know what armor class they hit every time they roll their d20. They're never going to have to recalculate or remember, oh, wait, I leveled up and now I only need this. You know, it's just that's it for the rest of this campaign. You know, um, it also means that monsters won't necessarily hit as frequently. Um, I'd have to actually look up the uh, the the monsters attacking matrix in the three little brown booklets uh, to see what like a really high level monster needs to hit a high armor class. Um, but the swords and wizardry rule. Um, is pretty easy to remember. A monster needs, to hit armor class 0, a monster needs 19 minus its hit dice. I think to a maximum of 10. So like um, a purple worm, which I think has 30, 30 hit dice, doesn't like subtract 30 from 19 and, and automatically hit. Um, but so so a 10 hit die monster or the maxed out monster would need a 9 to hit armor class 0. And that's that's pretty high odds. And this means that even that purple worm, if you're if you're a fighter in non-magical plate and shield, your armor class is two, that purple worm still needs to roll a 17 to hit you. Um, and it also means that, you know, you're going to really get some benefit out of even a measly plus one suit of armor, you know, or a ring of protection or something like that. Those things are going to pay some massive dividends. Um, I like that as well. Um I just like the fact that combat then never really gets all that easier. Um, and one of the reasons I like that is because I don't like combat. Um, and I don't run a game where combat is the solution to every problem. And I try to run a game where every time combat might occur, the players are afraid they're going to die. Um, one of the reasons I have this really peculiar initiative system when I run old school D&D that, that invokes a lot of rules from chainmail, including that a, a melee attack immediately incurs a returning attack unless you manage to kill your target. It's because I just basically, I always want players to think, if I run up and attack that monster, I could die. And I, I kind of never want them to lose that fear, you know. Um, and I feel like this is a way that because their attack bonus never goes up, they will always have to worry, what's the AC of that monster? I might not hit it. You know, whereas if they got really high level, then they might be like, I can hit almost any armor class pretty easily. I've got a, over 50% chance of hitting um, armor class zero. So, you know, unless we're rocking some really low negatives or something like that, you know. I just feel like it would be another way to make sure that combat always feels deadly and that no matter what level you are, the players always think twice before they engage in combat. That's kind of the game that I like to run is a, a game where combat is usually a bad idea and should be avoided at all costs. 
Um, so if I do get to run Woodfall over the, over Christmas, I'm thinking of laying that down as the house rule. Um, I feel like it's a little bit late. I might mention it to the players that I run for at the game store, but I feel like it's a little bit late to propose such a radical rule. But if, if, you know, we, we might like this Woodfall game that I run at home might never materialize. We might only play one session ever. So I think it's the perfect time to maybe try this out and just see what, just see how it feels, see what it's like. But I mean, yeah, I've never ever heard this in my life, but according to Bill Webb, he uses it regularly in his games and it works out really well. And I don't know, um, he prefaced it by saying, you know, have you spit out your Mountain Dew yet? You know, this is the most controversial house rule he has. And I, and, and when I read it, I was just like, wow, I'm really intrigued by this. I really, really want to try this out. Um, it just seemed like a breath of fresh air. Anyways. <sighs> Anyways, uh, that was an unexpected uh, digression on a house rule, but um, I was really inspired by that. And I just felt like talking about it. But for my final podcast of the year, um, what I'd really like to, to finish up on is uh, the kind of year in review sort of thing. Uh, Chuck Thorin just did one of those. Um, and, you know, <clears throat> the end of the year is always an appropriate time to kind of take stock of, of things that have happened. Um, one thing that happened this year is my, my son, my youngest child, uh, started primary school, which has been a big change for everyone concerned. Um, several months into it, he's now, uh, enjoying being at school quite a lot and making some new friends, which is a big step for him because he's always been the, the more shy and introverted of my kids. So the fact that he's making some good friendships is, is a, is really good, uh, really good growth for him and stuff. It's been really great to see that. Um, and he's, you know, he's probably had more new experiences crammed into the last, I don't know, eight to 12 weeks than he normally has in an entire year. So, uh, and he's coped really well with that. So, you know, hopefully this is like the start of him being a little bit braver about new things because, you know, it's, it's, it's fine if, if you're naturally hesitant about new experiences. I certainly am, but then that doesn't stop them being around. So, um, we all need to develop coping mechanisms for that. And I've, I've been very impressed by how he's, uh, how he's adjusted to school so quickly. Um, it's been, it's just great to see him happy and well adjusted. It has, a uh, totally thrown a spanner in, um, my gaming at home though. Um, we used to, we used to be able to run and uh, play an RPG pretty regular, regularly on a Friday. And, uh, he's still just a little bit too mentally tired to kind of participate in that. And to be honest, I've been finding myself quite mentally tired. It, it probably is just the case that maybe Friday afternoons after school is not going to be a great time, uh, to have a regular game, at least maybe 
Maybe not right away. I was actually thinking that if we could um, find some weekend time or something like that when everybody's kind of more up for it and start doing that um, fairly regularly until, you know, until my son gets really invested in a certain game for, you know, and the and the story behind it, then it might be easier to get motivated to do it on Friday. Um, but right now he's just got a lot on his mind clearly and he just he just wants to do something a little bit um, less intense in terms of using brain power. You've got to think if, by that point he's been using brain power at an unprecedented level all week. So it's kind of no uh, it's no uh, surprise that uh, that he he wouldn't really be able to concentrate for a. a a long RPG session. Some other things uh, that have happened uh, over the past year. Um, I started this podcast. Um, so that was something I I wasn't anticipating um, way back in January. Um. I had I had been intending to write a bit more on my blog, which I still have yet to publish anything on my blog since I started this podcast because it's just easier to record a podcast than to um, write a, a blog post. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Like when I when I did start the podcast, I just I was prepared for everything to be really slow and to have, you know, pretty much no listeners um, for a long time. Um, you know, a long time ago, I had a, a food blog and uh, at its peak, you know, it, it I was really pleased with, with its readership and with the response and I would get like... Um, sample food from food like from uh food providers and stuff um you know hoping that I would review it and things like that um but you know that that kind of success came um over the course of several years of very consistent regular blog posts um like uh every two weeks for for years and then when it's really started to when I started to notice it taking off I switched to every week and I and I kept that schedule so I put a lot of work into it so I was prepared to like wait a long time you know before I ever had any real response um on this podcast and uh instead like considering I just started it in the summer so I don't know about 6 months ago I guess maybe less um, I don't know. It's got a lot. It's got a lot bigger, faster, and I mean, it's not big. I'm not saying that it's like, you know, really, really big. But I've got like about 1,600 total listens, and um, I think an average of 40 listens per uh per episode. And uh, you know, I mean. I don't know. I I just I feel like it's got a bigger response than I was anticipating at this time. So I'd have to call that a success. Um, and it was yeah completely unexpected because I don't know. I just thought well I'll give it a shot. I'll just 
talking to my phone and, you know, probably no one will listen and for, for a long time. And then eventually maybe some people will, or maybe they won't. And yeah, no, it's turned out, it's turned out way more, like way more successful and way faster than, uh, than I could have anticipated. So that's been a big thing. Um, I still feel like I'm off, I'm off brand a lot of the time. Um, and that has to do with the fact that my home gaming has, uh, has been, um, on a hiatus a lot of the time due to the, due to the changes in school. So I can't talk about gaming with my kids if I haven't had an opportunity to be gaming with my kids. So I feel like I probably talk less about that than I originally intended to do. Um, so I think going forward, if I, uh, if I keep up with the podcast, then I'll, um, I'll need to see whether, uh, whether I can solve the problem of gaming at home or, uh, whether I need to, uh, rebrand or something like that. But, uh, that will be something that I revisit in the new year. Um, I also started running, um, Swords and Wizardry white box at my friendly local game store. Um, I've talked about that a few times on the podcast before. So, the the way that started is, um, I posted, uh, an offer to run, to run this game, to run original Dungeons and Dragons on a local gaming forum. Um, I did that way back in May and I'd actually kind of given up hope on it. Um, and then suddenly it caught fire and, um, yeah, so it's still going strong. I I, I started it off um, running uh, Josh Beckelheimer's first ever one-page adventure, the uh, Tower of Skulls, um, and I I chose that not be, not just because I like the adventure and I really like the the whole one-page adventure style, but also because I thought, well, um, I could probably get this. We could probably get through this at a one session in case nobody wanted to come back, but. It stabilized into a group of um, six players, <coughs> and uh, recently uh, they were in, they were they were doing a little mini dungeon while they're while they're hex crawling on on their way to uh, uh, on their way to Bard's Gate, and two players were going to be absent for the next session, and. I didn't want to kind of run the rest of the dungeon without them. So I said, well, maybe we'll just do a one shot um, for the next session for the people who can be here and then pick this up again when, when the whole group is back together. And one of the other players said, well, I've written a one shot and I would really like to try running this system. And this is, a, this is a, one of the younger players in the group and he's mainly has experience with fifth edition and other kind of modern editions. And he now wanted to kind of have a go at running this system. Um, now, you know, still only six players. It's not like a revolution, but I have managed to kind of get these people interested in 
you know, some serious old school D&D. And uh, I think, you know, that's just, that's something to remember and be proud of. That, you know, um, that I, I got the this random group of people, you know, interested in old school gaming. Um, that's no small thing. And, you know, um, I've got like a lot of uh, material from Frog God Games, you know, as part of the Swords and Wizardry Legion and stuff as well. So there's plenty of uh, content to kind of use for that. Um, and like I said, I mean, they're going to Bard's Gate. It won't be Bard's Gate as you know it. In fact, I would like to do a podcast sometime in the future about how I'm how I rebuild things um, from published materials. Um, and what I use to rebuild them and why, why I rebuild them and stuff like that. Um, but anyway, so that's been, I, again, I have to say that this, this game I'm running at my game store is a, is a success. Um, cause the players keep coming back and they enjoy it. And one of them even wanted to try, you know, running it. And that's amazing. And, uh, I guess last but not least, um, I submitted um, an adventure to, uh, I think it's going to be called Undiscovered Dungeons, but it's basically the com- the compilation of, uh, of one-page dungeons for uh, James Spawn's Untold Adventures. Um... Ever since, ever since I uh, homebrewed that adventure for my uh, my daughter, uh, the fifth edition one that kind of launched our our gaming career, I've been wanting to actually write it, write something down and publish it. And it was pretty easy to to write down that adventure for myself. And I'm sure anybody else who's ever like homebrewed their own adventure and not really intended it for publication, you know, you just have to write down some notes in your notebook. Just, just to only, you only write down what you need to run it and you fill in the rest of the blanks yourself. Um, but when it comes to writing something for, for a publication, it's a little bit different. And I just really didn't know where to begin. And the only model I had at the time were um, th- Wizards of the Coast official published adventures. And they're very wordy. So I thought I had to be that wordy. And I kept trying to write all this content and text down. And it always, it, you know, in the middle of it, I would be like, this is boring. And, you know, it feels wrong. Um, and it took me a, a lot of experimentation um, before I kind of decided that what I really favor is a more stripped down and succinct style, you know, basically I had to discover things like, like the, the one page adventures or like, uh, Courtney Campbell's mega dungeon, you know, and, and this way of, of describing and keying areas that uses as little text as possible. Um, so that the, the game master, can just kind of glance down and know the information they need, you know, almost instantaneously and then get back to engaging with the players at the table. Um, and, and, uh, at the time that I volunteered to submit this, uh, this, uh, 
this dungeon crawl for uh for the the James Bond collection I still hadn't successfully completed any any of my uh my other adventure ideas so I was taking a risk you know like I might not finish this but I made it a priority like I said well you know I've uh I've claimed one of the Dyson logos maps He's given us the deadline, so I'm going to make this a priority to finish this. And I worked, I, I made sure that I worked on it every single week. Um, I got a draft of it finished ahead of time because it had kind of a controversial topic. Um, I don't know if I should reveal the content of the adventure now. I mean, it's, you know, been submitted, but the the collection hasn't been published yet, but it involves a reimagining of of dark elves um i kind of enjoy taking a classic monster or villain and reimagining it twisting it around or approaching it from a new angle and i think i first got into that when i was actually reading the uh, the monster section of swords and wizardry um and the, the preface to the monster section is, you know, there's not going to be a lot of descriptions of monsters here. We're not going to tell you, for instance, what giant ants are like in case you have your own ideas about what they're like. We're just going to give you the mechanical stats. And I like that idea that, like, the flavor text was going to be up to you and how you frame the monster and, and things. It was going to be up to you. Like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of great content in, say, the 5th edition monster manual. And it can be very inspiring, for instance, if you're trying to come up with an adventure to just turn to a random monster and read its description, including its lore and stuff like that. But the problem with that is that, well, then that's how it is. And if you had a different idea for how that monster might work, then, you know, you uh, maybe you feel compelled to use the content as written. Or if you don't, then it's like, well, I paid for this content and I'm not even going to use it. Um, so it can be it can be as limiting as it is inspiring because it's ultimately somebody else's imagination and not your own. Um, so I really found that whole, that whole idea liberating. And um, later on, when they started describing the demon lords and devils and things like that, and and um, you know, they pointed out in Swords and Wizardry there's no meaningful game distinction between demons and devils. And again, I found that liberating because although the official D&D distinction between de demons and devils is interesting, and you can get a lot of really great story ideas about that, um, sometimes it can, it can really uh, get in your way, I find. For instance... Um, when running Curse of Strahd, I wanted to set in some uh, adventure hooks for Rappanathok in case they decide to go to Rappanathok and I can run the 5th edition version of it. And that meant that I had to set in some, some hooks and things to deal with Orcus. And it makes sense enough because Orcus is the, the demon prince of the undead and Strahd is undead. Presumably Orcus created vampires in the first place. But here's the thing. Strahd is lawful evil. And Orcus, being a demon, is chaotic evil. And there's a disconnect between that. And so I had to do a lot of playing around with things. Um, 
to uh, to make this work, you know, in fifth edition game terms, and something like that would not be an issue in Swords and Wizardry because there's no meaningful distinction between demons and devils, and there's only three alignments anyway, and presumably Strahd and Orcus would both be chaotic then. So, um, I just found I just found that stripped-down style of monsters to be really inspiring. And it's it's now become kind of a habit whenever I approach a classic monster in, in a, an old-school system to think, well, it doesn't have to work the way that Everybody assumes it will work. What's a different way it could work? So I've got an alternative history for drow. I've got an alternative history for orcs. Um, I'm going to tweak goblins a little bit. Um, I actually stole this idea from uh, the YouTuber Dale Kingsmill, but she wanted goblins to be scarier, and I really liked her idea about how like goblins are known for being cowardly. And she she's gonna make them a little bit more devious and 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 deadly, so that so that players can never think, oh well, it's only goblins. Like that they'll they'll kind of freak you freak them out a bit. And um, with kobolds, I'm only really tweaking them to. Um, I'm basically all the kobolds in my world are gonna be talkers kobolds. So kobolds in my world will have a reputation for being. Um, Highly strategic, uh, yeah, highly strategic f uh, fighters um, with devious trap makers, you know, things like that. Um, so again, people will never say, oh, it's only kobolds. They'll think, oh my god, what are they going to do to us? We have to get out of here right now. But anyways, yeah, I was really, really happy that I actually finished and submitted that um, that adventure. And I look forward to seeing it uh, in its final form, you know, um, published. Um, I, uh, I assume that uh, that uh, it'll it'll be forthcoming at some point. Um, I think I think James Bond was anticipating it would be sometime in the the new year. Um, so that'll be that'll be good. Um, and it's it's really just kind of reinvigorated some of my other adventure module writing because I now I now know that I can produce something if I if I just keep working at it. Um another thing that was really good about that system specifically because it's it's so it's four untold adventures which is um based on white box and white box is a, is a system I know really well and I uh I understand um I realized early on that I, I could fall into the trap of just writing it for White Box instead of for Untold Adventures. So um, I kept, every time I would work on it, I would go through what I'd written and pick out things that were more White Box than Untold Adventures. And, and I, you know, I ended up getting to know the Untold Adventures rule set really, really well so that I could make sure that it really was for untold adventures and not just for white box. Um, and it gave me a new appreciation of what makes untold adventures distinct and unique. Um, one thing in particular is that 
there's you know i always praise white box for having so few uh specific game mechanics like you know um there's no skill system and you know there's just a chance in six for for a lot of uh a lot of activities a lot of uh tasks or um things that your character might do and untold adventures doesn't even really have that there is a section that suggests some ways that you might resolve uh, certain character actions. But it's like, these are just things to consider. Ultimately, whatever what, what you do to resolve them when you're playing is really up to you. Like, that's part of how stripped down Untold Adventures is. It's like, you don't even have to do this. Like, whatever whatever you think works. These are some things that are that are common in RPGs. The chance in six, roll under your ability score, doing it all through narration... But it's like just yeah, whatever works for you, and and so I I made sure that when I went through that I never said oh there's a there's a certain percentage chance this will happen or there's a cert, there's an X and six chance this will happen. What I what I if if I if I felt like running it, I would call for a, a like for a, a chance in six dice roll for something. What I ended up putting was there is a chance. You know, it's possible that if they make a lot of noise, the creatures in the next room will hear them. But like, that's all I would say. Then it's really going to be up to the referee on how you resolve that chance. You know, it could be just that, well, you made noise, here they come. Or you might, you know, I don't know, give them a chance to, uh, I don't know, to, to listen at the door and understand that there's creatures in the next room and that they should be quiet or let the thief scout first or something like that. But just, you know, I, I really stripped down the mechanics I called for because it's kind of like, that's, that's the, that's the philosophy I think of untold adventures is that, you know, it's all up to you. We're not going to tell you how to run this game. So I found that really refreshing. I found it a great opportunity to get to know this, um, this game on its own terms. And I think without that, I might well have fallen into the trap of just taking it for granted, almost like taking a few mechanics out of it. Um, but on the whole, still just really playing white box. And, you know, I think the, the white box game that I run is it's really, I am actually really running on untold adventures, but just with the, the classic classes um, of, you know, fighter magic user and cleric. But all the all the way that I resolve things is really a much more untold adventure style of resolving actions. Um, so, anyways, <clears throat> that's been uh, something that I've been really proud of, and uh, now now that it's submitted, I've been devoting my uh, my writing time to uh, uh, something that I've had the idea for for a while. I've been working on it for a while. Um, ultimately, I wanted to be. Um, a kind of a mini sandbox um and uh i'm kind of my working title is the tyrants of chitin because it's basically all about giant bugs there's just so many kind of giant bugs in the game that i really wanted to write something that that foregrounded giant bugs instead of making them kind of bit players and stuff um so what i'm working on right now would be kind of like the 
the first area that you might explore and a little mini adventure to go along with that area that will also kind of set up what's going wrong in this region and why there are so many uh, giant bugs. And it will include not just giant bugs like giant centipedes and things, but it'll also include bug-like things like onkegs and stuff. And I mean, at its most extreme, there'll be things like purple worms and stuff like that. Make sure that there's uh, plenty of stuff for all character levels. But anyways, yeah, so I've been working on that, so I'm making good progress with that. But I feel a lot more confident about it because I know that if I do just keep working at it, I will finish it. So anyways, um, that I think has been most of my year. So um, with that, I hope everybody has... Um, Happy holidays and a safe new year. And um, in, until we meet again, play well and let the dice fall where they may.